Man, it's great to be back in Lafayette again. Uh, since we were last here in June, uh, Bethy and I both have uh, celebrated our 70th birthdays. In January, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Praise God. Hallelujah. But don't, don't let these 70-year-old bodies deceive you. We're still young at heart, full of energy, full of life, full of the power of God, excited about Jesus, excited about the kingdom of God. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, we had a time up there this weekend at that retreat center with the men. I, I didn't know a lot of the men. I was expecting to see, see the, 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 the Francis Borks and the Aarons and all these guys. No, no, no. It's a whole new crew, man, a whole new group up there. And we, we did have a wonderful time. Yesterday uh, afternoon, we just had a question-answer session. So I, just, I told him, I said, you, you can ask anything you want, hunting, fishing, camping, ministry, Bible, about family, uh, whatever. And so they just started shooting questions to me. And one of them said, well, have you got a little bit of advice as far as after being married for 50 years? So I tried to give them a few little uh, tidbits that might be helpful, but I forgot to tell them the most important thing. You know, what has really helped us through the years is that uh, we believe that the man should make all the big decisions in the home and the woman should make the little decisions. And we've tried to hold to that through the years. And so I've made all the decisions uh, about Russia, world hunger, and terrorism. Uh, she's made the decision about how we're going to spend our money, about what I'm going to wear, and all of that. Praise God. And that's worked well for us. <laughs> Amen. Well, we're fixing to have a time here. Those of you who, because the worship is over a shift in the gear ship up into neutral to coast, pull her back and drive one. We're fixing a rock and roll, amen? We're fixing a rock and roll, praise God. I want you to help me to preach this morning. I tell you, I, 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 there is so much Christianity light out there. I mean, we got, we got light mayonnaise, we got light salad dressing, we got light marginal, but we got a lot of light Christianity. And we got, we got a whole lot of light preaching going on. Little, little devotional, motivational ditties that don't amount to a hill of beans. Don't have much Bible in them. Don't have much theology in them. But we're gonna, I want you to put on your thinking caps this morning. Because we're going we're to preach from the Bible. We're going to preach some theology. And so I want you to think with me this morning. Work with me this morning. And let's enjoy the presence of the Lord in His Word. Praise God. So Father, we thank You and we bless You. We worship You. Lord, we just thank You for this time. Now we can open the book and learn of You. Become more like You as we receive the Word of God into us. It becomes the living Word of Christ in us. The hope of glory. For it's in His wonderful name that we pray. Amen. This morning I'm wearing my, my dress watch. This, this, is, this is a gold watch. It's a, it's a very expensive watch. Uh, it's a Hamilton. It's made in the tradition of the great watchmakers of the world. It's not a cheap quartz watch. And so this watch is very precious to me. But what makes it precious to me is not that just that it's, it's gold and that it's expensive, but this watch on the back was says it was presented to my daddy for 30 years of service at Texaco. And so this watch is precious, not just because it's expensive, but because it has sentimental value. It represents my daddy's hard work. It represents his love. It represents him working so that I would have clothes on my back and food to eat. And so I consider this watch 
extremely precious. You know, the Bible talks about some precious things. The Bible tells us that the promises of God are precious. Peter speaks of the exceedingly great and precious promises. The Bible calls our faith precious. More precious than what? More precious than gold. Wisdom. The book of Proverbs says that wisdom is the principal thing. Above everything else, get wisdom because it's more precious than rubies. And the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. And yet above all these, more precious than anything in the Bible, more precious than anything in the earth, more precious than anything in the universe is what Peter calls the precious blood of Christ. And so let's turn to 1 Peter 1.18 and just see that phrase. And we're going to come back to that verse later uh, in the morning. But the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. The apostle says, you know that you were redeemed from the feudal, vain, empty, Ways or traditions inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Why is the blood of Jesus considered precious? There are many reasons. Let me suggest four to you this morning. His blood is precious. Because it was sinless. You know, we are sinners. We sin because of three reasons. We sin, first of all, because we were conceived in sin. We were born sinners. We have the fallen, Adamic, sin nature in us. And because we have this nature, which is bent toward sin, which is bent toward rebellion, we choose to sin. But not only are we sinners because we have a sin nature, but we sin because we live in a sinful environment. We have been born into a world filled with rebellion and sin and violence and hatred. And because we, with our sin nature, live in a sin environment, it is very easy for us to choose to sin. But we also sin not only because we have a sin nature and because we live in the midst of a sin environment, but because in this sin environment there is one called the tempter who comes and entices us using, taking advantage of that fallen sin nature within us and taking advantage of the temptations of this sin environment that we're in. He tempts us to choose against the right and to choose against the good, and to choose against God, and to choose for self and for sin. And because of those reasons, we are sinners. But the Bible says that Jesus was without sin. You see, he was born without the fallen Adamic sin nature. God Almighty was his Father. And so he receives his divinity... From his heavenly father. 
He receives his humanity from his mother, Mary. You say, wait a minute, Brother Jimmy. How is he going to not have a sin nature? Uh, Now, immediately you run into a problem. The Catholic Church has tried to solve that problem with the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, simply saying that Mary was not a sinner, that she did not sin, and therefore because she was sinless and God fertilizes her egg, a sinless mother, and God is the Father, then you can bring forth a sinless Jesus without the fallen sin nature. The only problem with the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is it won't match up with the Bible. Mary was a wonderful young girl. She was very special, but she was a sinner just like you and I. And she needed a Savior just like you and I. And so the miracle of the incarnation is just not, it's not so much the miracle of the virgin birth, but the miracle of the incarnation is at the moment of conception when the Father fertilizes the egg of Mary. At that moment, a miracle takes place and Jesus receives true humanity from his mother, but it is not the fallen nature of Adam. It is like the first Adam. And so he comes into the world fully human and yet armed like the first Adam was. The first Adam failed. Will the second Adam prevail? That is the question. The first Adam failed and took all of the race into degradation and into sin and into failure. Will the last Adam, will he prevail? Will he be able to bring forth a new humanity who loves the word and the ways and the will of God? Praise God. And so he's born without the fallen sin nature of Adam, though he is fully man like the first Adam. And he comes into not a pristine environment like the first Adam. But he is born into a sinful environment. He comes into a world filled with sin, rebellion, sickness, perversion, violence. And into that environment comes the last Adam. And he also comes into that environment in the face of an angry devil who is out to stop him who is out to cause him to fail like the first Adam did. And yet the Bible tells us, though he was tempted in every respect as we are, it was yet without sin. That's Hebrews 4.15, if you've never read that. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. Sin. Have you ever thought about that? Do you think Jesus was ever tempted to overeat and be a glutton? Of course he was. His humanity loved food just like we do. Do you think he was ever tempted sexually as we are? You say, oh, Brother Jimmy, horrors to think of Jesus being tempted sexually. Yes, he was. He was a man. He was humanity. Was he ever tempted to love the things of this world? Yes, he was. And the devil knows, if I can just get into sin one time, only once, 
to break the moral law of God. Only once to come out from under submission to his father and act independently and in rebellion against the will of God. Then I'll have him just as the first Adam fell, the last Adam will fail, and mankind will be mine. But the good news of the gospel this morning is, praise God, he never, never once did he sin in thought, word, or deed. Tempted in every respect. Yet, without sin. And so the final judge that he stands before on planet earth is the Roman governor called Pontius Pilate. And three times, Pilate says, I find no fault. I find no crime. I find no sin in him. And so this sinless one, offers up his sinless life as the ransom sacrifice for sinful man. Dies upon the cross, the sinless one dying for the sinner, the innocent one dying for the guilty, and with every drop of blood that falls from the cross, remember, it's precious blood because it's sinless blood. Praise God. Amen. Amen. His blood is precious Because it's sinless. But also his blood is precious because it was shed in love. You know, the most simple act, the most common things become precious when they are impregnated with love. We read in the Gospels about Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Jesus is in the city of Bethany. He is on the way to Jerusalem to die. His death is imminent. And she's sensing the moment and sensing the hour. There at supper, begins to anoint his feet with ointment. And the Bible in the King James Version says it was an alabaster box of ointment, very precious. Of course, it was expensive. Of course it was valuable, but why was it precious? It was because it was impregnated with love. As she pours out her love upon the Lord Jesus, and Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. She has anointed my body for burial. Precious ointment. Some of you, probably most of you remember reading probably somewhere in the eighth grade, maybe freshman in high school, O. Henry's famous short story, The Gift of the Magi. The plate on the door of the little apartment said, Mr. James Dillingham Young. But to his precious Della, he was Jim. And in the Jim Dillingham Young home, there were two things most precious. One was Jim's watch. It was the watch that he had inherited from his grandfather. It was a gold watch. It was an expensive watch. And it was exceedingly precious. The other precious thing in their house was Della's hair. She had long, thick, beautiful hair that came down all the way to her knees. And now it is the day before Christmas. 
And Della wants to buy Jim a wonderful Christmas present. And yet with all of her scrapping and her saving, she has only a dollar and 87 cents. What can I buy for a dollar and 87 cents? And then in a moment of decision, she rushes out of the apartment, down to the barber shop, and there the barber cuts her precious hair, and she gets $20 for her hair. Then she goes to the watch shop, and she buys a beautiful platinum chain for Jim's watch. No more will he have to pull that beautiful watch out on that old leather strap, but he will have this beautiful chain to hang it on. She rushes home. She looks at herself in horror in the mirror. She curls her little short hair and wonders, I wonder if Jim will still think I'm pretty. And then he comes in. He's in shock when he sees Della. And she says, oh, Jim, it'll grow back fast. It'll grow back fast. And he presents her his Christmas gift. Eagerly, she opens the package, and there they are, a beautiful set of combs, tortoise shell combs rimmed with jewels, the ones she's looked at in the store so many times, extremely expensive. And she looks at him, she says, it'll grow back fast. And she says, oh, now, your gift, your present. And as he opens the present, it's the watch chain. And he smiles and he takes her in his arms and he says, honey, I sold the watch to buy your combs. And oh, Henry closes the story. As he says, the Magi, with all of their gold and their frankincense and myrrh, never presented more beautiful gifts than those. Why? They were impregnated with love. Love makes the most common things precious. This Bible tells us that God is love. And so in the heart of God for all of eternity was the cross. Before there was ever a universe, before there was ever an angel, before there was ever an earth, before there was ever a man made in the image of God, there was a cross eternally in the heart of God because God is love. And somewhere in the eternal councils, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had formulated the plan. And the Father said, Son, the creature that we're going to make someday, the one who will be made in our image, the one who will have the capacity for fellowship with us, he will use his will against us. And the whole creation will sin and rebel against us. But because God is love, he was not willing 
that mankind go into eternal destruction and the father turns to the son. He says, son, the day will come when you will need to go into the place that we'll create called earth and you'll need to become a man and you'll need to take on the sin and the rebellion of the creature that we have made and you'll need to die in his place upon on the cross. Son, will you do it? And Jesus says, Father, I will go. And in the fullness of time, the Bible says, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. And when Jesus had lived that full 33 years, never sinning once in thought, word, or deed, then he offers up that life for us upon the cross in love. Do you remember what Jesus said near the end, right near the end? No man takes my life from me. I lay it down. He laid it down in love. Everything he did for us was because God is love and because he loves us. Can I exhort you this morning, will you love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength? No wonder the great hymn writer Isaac Watts in that great hymn, When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross, wrote those beautiful words, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. His blood is precious because it was shed in love. The third, his blood is precious because it speaks better things than the blood of Abel, praise God. Look at Hebrews 12 and verse 24. Now, in the passage from which we're going to take this one verse, the writer of Hebrews is is comparing the earthly Mount Sinai to the heavenly Mount Zion. And he lists a number of things about this heavenly Zion. And the last one is in verse 24. And he says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better things. The RSV says, speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. Now, to understand what is being spoken here, you have to go back to the book of Genesis. I'll not take time to turn there. Chapter 4 and verse 10, you remember the story. Uh, Cain, jealous over the fact that his brother Abel's offering had been accepted and his had been rejected, Cain murders his brother. And the Lord comes to Cain And he says, Cain, where's your brother Abel? And he throws that uh, haughty little question out. Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Whoa. That says blood has a voice. Blood speaks. And may I just add this little note here off the track a minute. If the blood of one righteous man, the voice of that blood reached the throne of God calling for judgment. That's what, that's what Abel's blood was crying out for. Justice, judgment, and immediately the judgment of God fell upon Cain. If the voice of the blood of one righteous man can reach the throne of God, what about 
the voice of the blood of millions of innocent babies in America whose blood has been shed through abortion. There is a great cry going up from the earth today to the throne of God, and it's calling for judgment upon America. It's calling for judgment upon a selfish nation. That's why we're in such trouble today. That's why our nation is under already under judgment. Because that blood is crying out for God's justice and God's judgment. You remember when Jesus first comes out of the tomb, the first person to recognize him is Mary Magdalene. And she grabs hold of him. The the King James Version says, Jesus says, don't touch me, Mary. But actually it says, "Don't, don't hold on to me, Mary. Don't don't cling to me. For he says, I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to the brethren and tell them that I am ascending to my father and to your father. And in that instant, he is gone. And faster than the speed of light, he now enters the courts of heaven. The victorious, risen King has returned to heaven's domain. Angels bow before him. Seraphims bow before him. The cherubims bow before him. And he enters into the heavenly sanctuary. And there he sprinkles his sinless, precious blood upon the mercy seat of heaven. And the Bible says that blood speaks better things. It speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood called for judgment. Jesus' blood is crying out for mercy, for forgiveness, for restoration, for healing. His blood speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Praise God. You say, Brother Jimmy, where in the world did you get that about him going into heavenly sanctuary and sprinkling blood on mercy? See, I'll tell you where I got it. It's right in the Bible. Shall we turn to Hebrews chapter 9? Hebrews 9 verse 11. Just a little time. I'd like people to be able to read along with me. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Let me stop here for just a moment. The Bible teaches that there is a heavenly sanctuary, that there is a heavenly tabernacle. You remember in Exodus chapter 40, when Moses is about to build the tabernacle, God pulled back the curtains of heaven, allowed him to look into the heavenly sanctuary. He says, now Moses, look upon this. I want you to build a physical, scaled down replica of what you see in heaven. And so the tabernacle on earth was nothing but a physical replica of the reality, the spiritual reality in heaven. And into this replica went the high priest of Israel with blood, with blood, the blood of bulls, the blood of calves, the blood of goats. He went into that replica to make reconciliation for fallen man. But Jesus, praise God, is not going to go into any physical, scaled-down replica. Hallelujah. It says that he entered, verse 12, once for all into the holy place, into the heavenly sanctuary, taking not the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption 
For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish unto God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Praise God. And so upon the mercy seat of heaven, there in the heavenly tabernacle, is the precious blood of Jesus. And it's speaking better things than the blood of Abel. I'll tell you, this blood is speaking forgiveness. This blood is speaking mercy. And if you're living still with a guilty conscience, if your conscience is still full of guilt, the Bible says that that blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel, it's able to purge your conscience, to cleanse your conscience, to wash your conscience... So that you no longer live in guilt, but you live as forgiven and free in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. His blood speaks better things than the blood of Abel. And then the last reason that his blood is precious is because it redeems us from all the vain Empty ways inherited from our ancestors. Let's go back to the text where we started, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Now, I've never been to one of your encounter retreats, but I dare say this verse right here is the one that y'all used, Todd. I'm sure this is used because this is so important. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. We read it again. Verse 18, you know... Sadly enough, much of the church does not know, right? Does not know. You know that you were redeemed. And that word redeemed simply means loosed or delivered. You were loosed. You were delivered from the vain, empty, futile ways or traditions inherited from your ancestors. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Did you know the devil doesn't need a new plan to destroy every life? He doesn't need a new plan for every human being to destroy it. All he needs to do is set in motion in a great-grandfather a lifestyle of destruction. Pass it down to the grandfather and to the father and to the son. And on and on and on and on. That's why the Bible talks about the vain, empty way of life that we have inherited from our fathers. I thank God for we've inherited some good things from our moms and dads, from our grandfathers and our grandmothers, but we've also inherited, some of you here have really inherited some bad things, some vain, empty ways of life. There's some of you here who have struggled with alcoholism. Your grandfather was an alcoholic. Your father was an abuser of alcohol, and that devil says, and you will be no different. You will end up a drunken failure in this life. It's time that you rise up and say, no, no, no. 
I have been redeemed from that vain, empty way of life. The blood of Jesus looses me from that. And I now have a new bloodline. I'm a new creation and I can live differently. Hallelujah. Praise God. If that's you I'm talking to this morning, if I'm talking to the alcoholic here this morning, hear me. Believe the Bible. You were loosed. 2,000 years ago, you were loosed and delivered from that vain, empty way of life. There's some of you here who had a mother, negative, critical, sharp tongue. Some of you may have had a mother that had a tongue long enough she could stand in the living room, lick the skillet, clean in the kitchen. (laughs) Never had a kind word to say. And somehow you always said, I don't want to be like my mother. I don't want to be like her. And yet you find yourself negative, critical, just like your mother. I've got good news for you this morning. It don't have to be so. You were loosed from the vain, empty way inherited from her. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Why is it that those who came out of the home of a child abuser or a wife abuser often say, my home will be different. I would never do that. And yet they know statistically that those who abuse children and wives, they came from abuser homes. And though you may say, I never want to be like that, here you find yourself living and doing the same thing. It's because of the vain, empty ways inherited from your father's. But the good news of the gospel this morning is, praise God, you don't have to be an abuser anymore. You don't have to be like grandpa. You don't have to be like daddy. You can rise up. You can rise up. You're loosed by the precious blood of Jesus. You're redeemed by his blood, and you can live a new lifestyle. Hallelujah, you're of a new bloodline. Glory be to God. And you can go on and on and on. You came out of a home where daddy was just irresponsible, always blaming everybody else for the problems in our home. It's always everybody else's fault. Other people get the breaks in life, but not us. Always it's everybody else's fault, and you find yourself responding the same way to life. Stop it! Stop it! Step up to the plate. Become a responsible person. Say, I am loosed from that irresponsible lifestyle that I inherited. And I am a responsible man who will lead my family in the ways of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Just renounce that old lifestyle this morning. Renounce what you inherited. You can do it right now. And receive deliverance through the power of his precious blood. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, his blood is so precious, isn't it? It's so precious, so precious. Oh, my, it was sinless, was shed in love. It's still speaking today on the mercy seat of heaven, better things than the blood of Abel, and it redeems us from all the vain, empty ways inherited from our fathers. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. If our musicians or however you all do it here can come and Let's just begin to listen to the Holy Spirit.
Now, I'm going to turn this invitation over to Todd in a minute because he does a lot better job of that than I do. I was telling the guys at the retreat, boy, Todd don't turn you loose, man. He don't turn you loose. We're thinking about being a team and going doing retreats together. I'll, I'll, I'll just expound the word and let him take hold of them altars and uh, get, hold of, get a hold of folks. Praise God. But I, I just want to encourage you this morning, don't just hear the word of God. Be doers of the word. Respond to the word of God. You don't have to live with a guilty conscience. The blood of Jesus has been sprinkled on the mercy seat and it's speaking grace, mercy, forgiveness. That precious blood will purge your conscience from the works of death, from the things that produce death in your life. It'll purge your conscience from the works of death to serve the living God. You don't have to be an alcoholic like daddy. You don't have to be a lazy, irresponsible person like grandpa and daddy. You don't have to be anymore. You are loosed from that vain lifestyle by the precious blood of Christ. Respond to that this morning. Respond to the call of the Holy Spirit this morning in your life. Don't go on like you've been going. Rise up. Believe the Bible. Believe the good news of the gospel that's been preached this morning. It's the power of God into salvation. It'll deliver you. It'll set you free. It'll make you a new person. And so while we were just waiting on the Holy Spirit, is there anyone in this auditorium this morning, under the power of my voice, anyone who's heard the preaching of the good news of the gospel this morning? And you say, Brother Jimmy, I don't know if I'm a child of God. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. I don't have the assurance of salvation. I guess if I died, I might go to hell. I don't know. But I want to know. I want to receive him. I want what he's done for me. I want you to lift your hand anywhere across this order to him. That's who you are. You say, I'm not sure. If I died right now, I would go to heaven. But I want to know. I want the assurance of salvation. I want to know that. I want you to lift your hand right wherever you are. I want to pray for you. Any here in this auditorium who say, I don't know for sure. If I died right now, that I would go to heaven. But I want to know. Just lift your hand high. I want to pray for you. I want to embarrass you. I want to pray for you. Any that need to make that decision this morning. Decide against your lifestyle. Decide for Jesus. Decide for his lifestyle. Any that we can pray for this morning. All right, we're going to, we're going to open the altars here in just a moment. I'm going to ask for the, the, the ministry teams that minister here at the altar to come on down here right now. Just get up from where you are and come on down. Stand here across the front. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are small group leaders. Just come on here and find your place here at the altar. And any of you this morning who need to act upon the Word of God, there's still an area in your conscience where you're so guilty. The blood of Jesus speaks mercy this morning. Avail yourself of that. I want you to get up out of your seat. Make your way here to the front. Take the hand of one of these counselors. Say, pray for me. Pray for me. I don't want to live in guilt anymore. I want to live a guilt-free life. If there's any of you here who say, yes, I've inherited those, some of those vain, empty ways from my ancestors. But this morning, the blood of Jesus looses me 
The blood of Jesus redeems me. I want you to get up from where you are, from the back of the auditorium, over in this section, over in this section. Make your way here to the front. Take the hand of one of these counselors and say, pray with me. I want to believe this morning. I want to be delivered this morning from all that which I have inherited. Let's stand together. And those of you who need to come, come quickly now uh, at this moment. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you and we bless you.